what is the most important question that everybody in the world needs to know the answer to? You, you know the answer? Okay. That's, that's a start. So depending on where you live, you may have different answers to that question. If you're living in a country like Syria, you may just be wondering, how do I make it through the day? You, you may be wondering, how do I survive? But in the United States, we, have, uh, we may have questions like that, but we may have questions like, who is going to win March Madness? That's, that ranks up there. But more seriously, we might be asking, uh, how much do I need for retirement? Or we may ask questions like, um, who should I marry? Or what should my career be? Or we may even be so bold as to ask, what is the secret to happiness? How can I be happy? Or even more philosophically, we could ask, what is the meaning of life? Actually, uh, Tom Brady, after he, quarterback of the New England Patriots, after he won his third Super Bowl title, he said this. He said, is this all there is? There has to be something more than this. And maybe now that he's won his fifth Super Bowl title, he feels that that's what he needed. But that's a great question. There has to be something more than this. What, what more is there than this? He said, the interviewer asked him, well, what do you think it is? He said, I wish I knew. I have no idea. The most important truth for every person in the world to know is Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of the universe. He alone can save you and give you eternal life. And he's coming again to establish his kingdom in full. How are people in your life and in my life going to know that Jesus Christ is Lord? How are they going to get clued in on that? Well, they will come to know Christ as Lord as you speak the words of Christ and as you do the works of Christ. As you speak the words of Christ and as you do the works of Christ. I don't mean that speaking the words of Christ means you're going to be standing up in a public place um, in a, in, proclaiming it before hundreds of people. You might do that, but, but most of the time how people are going to hear it from you is, is in your everyday rhythms of life your everyday interactions as you live life. Likewise, most people are going to see you doing the works of Christ in your everyday family life, school, work, community involvement, and church involvement as well. Today we're going to see in our scripture passage in Exodus chapter 7 that God is going to deliver his people from slavery through Moses and his older brother Aaron, not because they're, they're highly gifted people necessarily, because they have great talents and abilities, but by their speaking God's words and doing his works. They say what God tells them to say, and they do what he tells them to do, and God takes care of the rest. And, and we'll see that God's purpose in this is not just to, to liberate Israel. He, he is going to do that, but that's not his only purpose. His ultimate purpose is that all may come to know him as Lord, that people may know that he is Lord. 
Now, God had to do a lot of convincing of Moses that he is the man for the job of delivering Israel from Egypt. At the end of chapter 6, where we were last week, even after powerfully confirming to, to Moses that he was going to fulfill his promises, he was going to f- fulfill his covenant. Um, the Lord said to Moses at the end of chapter 6, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And um, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. Have any of you used that excuse lately? It comes in handy. And basically what he meant then is, I don't talk very good. So that's, that's what he meant. How will Pharaoh listen to me? What Moses needs to get is that God is not depending on Moses' abilities to deliver Israel. Moses is to speak God's words and do God's works, which will have God's power. So I'm going to read to you from chapter 7 of Exodus, verses 1 to 13, and we'll see how God uh, continues to encourage Moses to do his works and declare his words. So would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, and that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to, to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word. Of, these are the words of the living God. You may be seated. It's true, Pharaoh won't listen to Moses at first. So Moses was right. He won't listen to him. Not because Moses is a poor speaker, but because Pharaoh is defiant and hard-hearted. But the Lord has made Moses not just like God to him, but, but literally it says, I have made you God to him. That's what it says. Now, the reason that most Bible translators put the word like in there is because they're trying to say, well, God didn't make Moses into a God, actually, but he would be a representative of God. 
he would represent God to Pharaoh and as he would be speaking God's words, though sometimes he would do it through Aaron, so he would tell Aaron to speak, and because Aaron was Moses' prophet, so to speak. And he would be exercising God's powerful works against Pharaoh. So he's, he's representing God before Pharaoh. Pharaoh supposedly is the embodiment of a god. So Pharaoh, hey, I'm God here. So there's only this town isn't big enough for the two of us. He represents and speaks for the gods of Egypt. And Moses is challenging him in the name of this unknown god of the Hebrews, the god of Israel, the god of his slaves. And Pharaoh's not about to submit to such a god. So Moses isn't to speak for God to Pharaoh because he is already receptive to what Moses will say, nor is Moses' uh, speaking ability what will persuade Pharaoh to submit to God's demand. Moses is to speak for God to Pharaoh because God is giving him his infallible words and his undefeatable works. And in verse 2, I see God clarifying the assignment. It's very simple what you're to do, Moses. All you need to do is speak all that God commands him. Now, this sounds kind of like a mandate that Jesus gave us one time. You kind of hear that in the background there? Go and preach the gospel to all people and make disciples by teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. Not complicated. All, all we need to do is teach people all Jesus commanded and make them disciples. So very simple, right? Yeah, we got we got very clear task before us. And as Aaron is Moses' prophet, Moses will have him tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. So Aaron tell Pharaoh to let people go. But Pharaoh is not about to comply, as we see. In verse three and four, God says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, you might say, Poor Pharaoh. He might have been more friendly to God had God not hardened his heart. That's not fair. Why did he do that? Well, there are at least 20 references, and we, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago, um, because back in chapter 4, Moses, God, brought the subject of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. We talked about this then. There are at least 20 references to Pharaoh's heart being hardened in this stretch of, of text between chapters 4 and 15. So uh, about seven times it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And three times it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And ten times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And this word for harden, Mo Mo Moses uses, God uses three different words for um, harden. And this one means to be severe, to be harsh. Pharaoh is clearly responsible for his choices. So it's not like he's... He didn't have any choice in this matter, being of hardening his own heart. He did. He is wicked, and God is sovereign and just to judge Pharaoh this way. So we shouldn't picture uh, Pharaoh as a man who might have yielded to God sincerely if God just hadn't hardened his heart. No. Pharaoh finally does yield to God but uh, to, to free the people, but not because he truly repents, but because he finally can't take any more of God's power displays. He just can't uh, overpower God, so he just gives in. So God says he will harden Pharaoh's heart so that even though he will multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, as God will, will do that, he'll, he'll multiply signs and wonders, up to ten of them anyway, 
Pharaoh will not listen. Perhaps if God had not hardened Pharaoh's heart, he might have like given in at, at, at stage four or five. But at any rate, he might have cried uncle at that point. But God increased Pharaoh's resistance to facing reality that he was utterly outgunned and overpowered by Yahweh, which is the name for, for Israel's God, Yahweh. So, uh, so God strengthens his heart to do that, to resist. The worst consequences of sin, we think of, of consequences of sin uh, typically as, as things more external and physical, like poor health or um, financial loss, injury, destroyed property, imprisonment, broken relationships, or, or, or even death. We think of those as consequences of sin, and they are, they can be. But the worst consequences of sin may be, can be, a hardened heart. A hardened heart that no longer can be convicted of, of wrongs, that doesn't perceive or care about the reality of consequences. That, that will continue in and increase in doing wrong things, even though uh, to their own destruction and to the, to the destruction of others. Now, if you've seen a person who just doesn't take any consequences to stop their bad behavior, you've seen a hardened heart when um, <clears throat> someone who keeps making the same destructive decisions over and over again, even though the consequence has been getting increasingly bad, that's a hardened heart. It's like Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1. He talks about people who suppress the truth and who um, worship other gods besides the true God. They don't give God glory. He's, Paul says God gave them over to a corrupt mind. God gave them over to their sin. So that's really the worst consequences, when your heart is, is hardened against conviction of sin and, and, and to the true God. So God could have sent a judgment so severe it would have overwhelmed Pharaoh right away. In fact, God says this in chapter 9. He says, by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence. He could have sent them a disease and, and killed them all. He could have just, all right, I'm done with you. He could have done that, but he didn't. He could have gotten Israel out a lot sooner if that was his only goal. But he eventually, he evidently wanted to more gradually escalate his judgments so that it would be clear that Pharaoh turned down many opportunities to submit to Yahweh before Egypt was virtually decimated. So Moses is to speak God's words to Pharaoh, whom God has said would, God said he will not listen, and he doesn't listen, for sure. Even with non-CGI um, miracles, like the real thing. Yet God is certain that through this he will bring Israel out of Egypt. So Moses is to speak God's words to Pharaoh, whom God has said would not listen to him. In confronting wrong and when seeking to tell people about Jesus, our duty is to speak God's words, God's truth. We don't know what the results will be, it may bring people closer to Christ. We, that's what we hope for. We're, we present Jesus because we, we think he's great and they need him. And so we want people to grow closer to Jesus and, and to embrace him by faith. But we don't know that's going to happen. God knows. Because they, they might not grow closer. They might grow harder against Jesus. That sometimes happens as well. It may convict people of their sin. Often 
soften their hearts and, and lead them to repent and change for the better, or they may become more resistant, passive-aggressive or hostile, and more entrenched in their bad behavior or attitudes. Of course, just as it pleases God when people repent and grieve, and it grieves God when they don't, so when you speak God's words and, and do his works, you desire that, that people turn to Christ and his ways. You don't delight in them growing harder, so that's never your purpose. But you trust God's word and God's purposes. So, so what is God's purpose? If it's not only just to, that Israel be set free, what is God's more ultimate purpose than, than just sitting, uh, setting Israel free? And as much as he loves it when people repent and turn to him, if that is not his only purpose, what is his more ultimate purpose? Well, we see this in verse 5. God says, the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm having you speak my words and do my works, is so that the Egyptians may sh shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So the ultimate purpose of God in his words and works in the great acts of judgment that he does through Moses is that the Egyptians shall know that he is Yahweh. The Egyptians shall know that he is the Lord. Again and again throughout this Exodus account, the Lord Yahweh will state his purpose as being that Moses or Pharaoh or Israel or the Egyptians may know that he is Yahweh. He's all about making himself known to, to these people. He is the, the, the great I am. He's the self-existent one. That they may know that there is none like him. We, we sang that this morning. No one like you. No one else can do what he does. That he has wedded himself to his covenant people and has attached his name to them. So he's, he's not only this great, awesome, no one can do what I do, God, but he's also a God who, who brings the people to himself and, he, and he, he, he compassionately connects himself to, to a people so they become his people. So that's who Yahweh is. He's great, he's awesome, he's powerful, he's, he's dangerous if you rebel against him, but he's, he's gracious at the same time. And this purpose of knowing that God is Yahweh, all-powerful and Israel's Savior, wasn't just for Egypt or Israel to know, but uh, as we'll see in Exodus chapter 9, God will say, but for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh. For this purpose I have given you, I have recruited you into my cause, Pharaoh. What is that? What is your cause, God? To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's what God's about. As much as God loves it when people repent and turn to him in trust and, and for mercy, his ultimate purpose will not be thwarted, even if they don't. One day, every person, whether in joyful trust and obedience or under compulsion, will declare that God, who delivers Israel, Yahweh, the Lord, is supreme, and will declare that he deserves glory and honor even, even those who, like Pharaoh, were opposed to him will admit his supremacy because they cannot deny it. Hey, it's obvious that he's supreme over all things. I can't deny it even though I, I hate it. I can't deny it. 
God says this in Isaiah chapter 45. He says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. You might as well do it because to me every knee will bow and every tongue is going to swear allegiance. And that gets quoted of Jesus in in Philippians. Um, Same same words. Because Jesus humbled himself and, and took the form of a bondservant and died to purchase us from sin and death, God bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is all about that. God is the one being in the universe for whom it is right and good for all creation to exalt and glorify his name above every, everything else. If, if any of you say that, um, that's a problem. All the earth should worship me and, and exalt my name. Roy's never said that to me. He may think it, but he doesn't say it. But for God, it's it's a virtue because why? Because it's true. It's true. It's true that he is Lord over all and supreme over all things. He's greater. Those who don't acknowledge this have a distorted view of themselves, of others, and and of all things. If you don't acknowledge God's supremacy and don't delight in it, you will put something in God's place. You will embrace something else as supreme and worthy of submitting your highest devotion to. You're just wired to do that. You're going to do it. So you might as well make it the true God, not some other false God like money. If you make money your God, if, if money's supreme, then it warps you. And Paul says, uh, if you love money, it, you'll destroy yourself, reject the faith, and pierce yourself with many pains. And we go down the list of anything else you make God, a person, a relationship, a job, uh, whatever it is that's not God, it warps your, your perception of what reality is. And, <clears throat> and because God has attached his great name to delivering his people, we only rightly esteem his name when we believe and trust in his plan of, of deliverance of his people. So we, we only get God. We don't just get God as a great supreme being. We, that's true. But as a, as a God who delivers his people. Moses was the mediator God sent to defeat the enslaving powers of his people, the powers that enslaved his people, Israel. The greater Moses, Jesus, is the mediator God sent to deliver us from the enslaving power of sin and the world. So God says in verse 5, he will bring out Israel from Egypt. So I'm going to do it, Moses. I'm not giving you a task that, that you can't do. I'm going to do it. But that doesn't mean that Moses' obedience is optional. Just because God says, I'm for sure going to do this, doesn't make doesn't mean... Our obedience is optional. So we see this in verses 6 and 7. Moses and Aaron do exactly what God commands. And actually from this point forward, you never read of Moses doubting God doing what he said he's going to do from this point forward. Up, up to this point, Moses keeps saying, God, I'm not, the, I'm not your guy. I don't speak right. You, you've made a mistake. And now Moses, he's finally getting it. God didn't send them to strategize a plan to deliver Israel. He didn't say, hey, go 
figure out how to deliver Israel. Get back to me with your plan. He sent them to speak the words and do the works he commanded them. Likewise, Jesus, in accomplishing our salvation, our deliverance, spoke the words and did the works God the Father commanded him. So it's just that simple. And it is good if it can be said of us that we do what God commands. That we speak Christ's words and do his works. Does your family, your friends, your co-workers hear you speaking words that honor Christ and express his truth? Do they see your actions as those which obey Christ, glorify him, and express his goodness, his mercy and justice? At this point, we're told how old Moses and Aaron are in verse 7 when they started their work of delivering Israel from Egypt to the Promised Land. So Moses is 80 and Aaron is 83. So just a, a tip for you. You're never too old to deliver a people from slavery to a ruthless and mighty ruler and do powerful signs and wonders from God before him. You're never too old for that. However old you are, God is free to redirect you to new ventures in speaking his words and doing his works. God may surprise you. Hey, you're, you're going this way. And God, you know, actually, I've got this for you. You thought your retirement was going to be on the golf course or in Hawaii. You don't want to go there. Maybe you do, but if God takes you there, then go there. Now it is time to do a test sign. This is only a test, a test of Pharaoh's responsiveness to God's miraculous power. So just do a little thing. See how he responds. We see this in verses 8 and following. So the, in verse 8 and 9, we, we see the Lord prepares Moses and Aaron for Pharaoh to request proof that they are sent by their God by working a miracle. Moses is to tell Aaron to throw down his staff before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. And they've actually had a, a trial run at this. They did this for Israel, and it worked. And uh, Israel worshipped. So I wonder what kind of response Pharaoh's going to give them. Probably not worship. So Moses and Aaron, in verse 10, go to Pharaoh, and they do just as the Lord commanded. So they're getting it. Hey, yeah, I do what God commands. Aaron throws it down a staff, and it becomes a serpent. The, the staff, the stick, probably turned into what's called a Uraeus serpent. It was a, a symbol on Pharaoh's crown depicting a, a menacing female cobra. Any cobra is menacing. This was a, a symbol of sovereignty, royalty, deity, and divine authority in ancient Egypt. As the rod of Aaron turned into a, a menacing snake, Yahweh confronted directly the all-powerful Pharaoh, his evil and his wisdom, as represented in the emblem of, of the Uraeus serpent poised to strike Set on his crown. So they weren't doing magic. This was a relatively small sample of the power of God, his sovereignty over creation. Hey, I can do this, and over Egypt's gods, and it serves as a preview of the miraculous plagues and signs to come. 
through Moses, the Lord is challenging Pharaoh and Egypt's gods. So the snake was a big thing for them. Then in verse 11, Pharaoh summons the wise men. Why? Well, he's, he's seen them do tricks like this before. He's seen them do some similar things, so he, he doesn't want to waste any time. He immediately calls them up, sends them a text message, and says, Can get over here right away, and I, I need you. And he, he, he's, these magicians are like priests. They, they have a, a major role in, in um, Pharaoh's government and court. So he right away summons them to see if they can duplicate this rod and the snake trick. And they do so with their secret arts. So was it the real thing or was it fake thing? We don't know. Some people think that he, they really did tap into dark powers and, and they really did convert uh, a stick into a snake. Others think that they did it through mere illusion or deception, like a magic trick. So evidently there's some kind of trick with certain kind of snakes. I don't know if you ever tried this. Where you pinch them on the back of the neck and they, they stiffen out like a stick. So don't everybody go rushing home and try that. But evidently, and they, they presumably did this in Egypt. That they, If it hasn't been done in other places, they did it in Egypt. But the word secret arts probably means that it's deception or illusion rather than uh, an actual work of, of evil power. But however they did it, secret arts distinguishes it from being the open, clear, miraculous transformation that God did through Moses and Aaron. The fact that Aaron's staff swallows the magician's staffs indicates that Yahweh can and will devour Pharaoh. He can eat him up and remove his tyranny from his people. But Pharaoh willfully ignores this. And you see that with unbelief. Unbelief will always find reasons to reject the truth about God. It will always find some way to, to reject truth about God. It's kind of like when yearly, uh, it's, it's the time of year when the newspapers are going to put out articles saying, questioning whether Jesus Christ really existed because it's Easter time. So they, 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 you'll see articles on, on, in newspapers and online and specials on TV that say, well, we don't know if, if G- we found Jesus' tomb. We think there's a body in there or he was just a myth. Or So it's like, oh, yeah, the unbelief just devours that. I just needed to hear that once again so I can know that I don't need to believe in Jesus. And, and so that's just like what Pharaoh does. Hey, I, I need my, my props to keep my unbelief alive. And then in verse 13, we see that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh thinks that Moses' power is no match for his power as representative of Egypt's gods. It's not only Yahweh's power, uh, it's not only Yahweh's power displayed in the miraculous signs and plagues to come that defeat Pharaoh, but he actually gets defeated by his own hardened heart. It is the strength of Pharaoh's heart. That's This word for hardened is a different word than the word for hardened back in verse 3. This word means to be strengthened or made strong. So Pharaoh thought, I've got a strong heart, and that's a good thing. Nobody's going to get the best of me. Nobody's going to win me over. But Pharaoh's strong heart did him in because it included a dulling of his mind so that he did not grasp what had just taken place. 
hey, yeah, your, your magicians were able to transform sticks into snakes somehow, but our, our snakes ate your snakes, so we're stronger than you. And that's always a good sign. So he doesn't get that, and he, he just continues to focus on what, whatever keeps his unbelief strong. He's sure that um, his serpent connection with the serpent powers will overpower these wannabe challengers to his power. Pharaoh would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as God said would happen. So God, God told Moses, he's not going to listen to you, and he doesn't. It is God's sovereign purpose that he doesn't listen, so that God's patience, his justice, his powerful works can be displayed more fully. So God has a purpose in stretching it out and not just doing Pharaoh in one big um, power play. Now, few of us are going to be called to turn sticks into snakes before hostile world rulers. You might, but probably not. But each of us can share Christ-centered truth with those who don't know him as Lord. Each of us can do Christ-honoring works of mercy, justice, and uprightness that display the goodness and glory of his name. Now, like Moses, we may need to be persuaded that, that we're up for the task, that we're the, the man or the woman for the job, to make Christ known. But Christ promises he is at work. He is at work through you and in you by his Holy Spirit. We have more power, more redemptive power through the Holy Spirit than, than Moses had at that time. So we, we, we've got a great power working through us. Even in more intense situations that we're, we might be called to in, to defend our words or works before a hostile group, Jesus promises he will enable us to do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, if you get called before the courts and the authorities, do not be anxious about what you, what you should say or how you should defend yourself, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Most of your spirit-empowered witness will be your ordinary, everyday rhythms of life. into which God has called you to speak his words and do his works. In Acts chapter 6, Luke writes, the word of God continued to increase and the, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So as we spread the word of God, as we speak it, as we share it, it, it has a, a natural tendency to, 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 to create disciples and multiply them. We have opportunities to do that um, in our neighborhoods, with our families, and through the church as well. So take advantage of every opportunity you have to, to do Christ's works and to, to speak his words. May God cause his word to increase through you and me and multiply his, his works and his words. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for giving us your word, the words that you gave us through Moses and through the prophets and through Jesus and through the apostles are powerful and they're true and they're able to pierce through defenses and create living people for God, people who are alive in, in Jesus. Father, we know that 
that doesn't always happen. Sometimes people grow softer toward Jesus and they come to him all the way and they become his servants. Sometimes they grow harder. And that's sad, but your name is being proclaimed among all the nations. And that is your goal and that's our desire, to proclaim your name before all people. May we do that, Father, in ways big and small. May we see the opportunities to do that. Whether days of service that we're talking about doing in April, serving foster kids, serving in harvest kids, missions, uh, teaching Sunday school, uh, serving our neighbors. Father, just grant us the mindset, the heart set, to be available to the power of your Holy Spirit, to, to make Christ's words and works known. And then, Father, we pray for this time of worship through song as well as worship through receiving your the elements that represent the body and blood of your Son. We thank you, Father, that he gave us a visual demonstration of the gospel through the bread, which represents his body, and the cup, which represents his blood. Simple elements that re- represent very powerful, potent salvation, saving works that you did through him, that you sent your son to take on human flesh, take on our flesh, our humanity. He lived in our place. He died in our place. He rose again to a powerful new kind of life as the God-man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we, Father, could become your people. We depend upon him like we do our daily food. So as we take this bread and, and we take this cup, juice together, may we be celebrating his goodness to us. The daily need we have, Father, for communion with him, celebrating his life flowing through us. Father, because we couldn't make ourselves become new people who belong to Jesus by our own power, our own strength. It's not a matter of just our own moral bootstraps. It's a matter of Christ's holiness and his saving power. So we do pray, Father, that we would Focus on him and celebrate him as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen.